Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. In seventh grade at John Young Junior High, Coach Gleisner, John Gleisner, had encouraged me to join the track team because of my speed and he knew that I was kind of fast because he was my grade school teacher all through you know first through sixth grade and then he went on jumped into junior high with us at John Young and uh uh, but he, he at, at one of these practices, I was not running uh, to cross the finish line for a participation ribbon. I was actually running from a kid by the name of Keith, okay? Uh, and, and he was the biggest kid, the biggest bully at John Young Junior High. And, and, I, and he was about, I, 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 you can't appreciate the, the moment unless you were in seventh grade and you had this kid there he was probably about 5'11 maybe six foot in seventh grade okay he had facial hair hair He's, he was probably more more so 20 years old uh, rather than 12 or 13 um, but he he was he was mean he, he was uh, again uh Compared to me at that time, I was probably 5'5 and maybe 70 pounds if I was lucky. But Keith seemed to have a calling in life uh, that involved making the lives of small 12-year-old kids miserable. And that was my life through, you know, that seventh grade year especially. And being track season and both of us on the team, uh, Keith had challenged me to a race because he had, you know, I had a reputation in elementary school being the fastest kid and he wanted to challenge that. I believe he went to uh, Emmons uh, Elementary School at the time. But I took him up on it uh, only to get him to stop messing with me. I figured, man, if I beat him, maybe he'll leave me alone. And so I did defeat him pretty easily. And after the race, I could tell he was not happy. Okay, and he had to save face with his buddies that were on the track team. And, uh, he, and he said this, and this is what they called me in junior high, Stu, I'm gonna kill you after practice. And I'm, I'm scared to death, you know, what am I gonna do? So I asked Mr. Gleisner, can I call my dad? I'm not feeling so well. He didn't know what, what went on, so I went back into the school, called my dad, and, and waited. I, mean, I still did the practice until we were, we, we were done, but, but you could hear my dad approaching. He's on his BSA chopper. And you could hear that thing a mile away. And he pulls up in the stands right there by the tracks behind John Young Junior High. He got off the bike and he stood there by the bleachers. And all the kids were like, who is that guy? Who is that man? He had tattoos, you know. And got that bike standing there and looked rough and tough. Just got off of work from Dodge. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my dad's here. And, uh, you know, he saved the day. Basically, I, I, I ran. I ran from my bully. Okay, I actually ran, and my dad saved me from a beat down. But again, from that particular moment on, Keith and his friends, they never bothered me again. They didn't because they saw who my dad was. And you know back in the day, that's when you were able to say, my dad can beat your dad up. Well, my dad could, okay? Um, and, 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 <laughs> and today we're going to see two guys by the name of Peter and John uh, who faced their bullies head on. 
They didn't run. They didn't run and they didn't take the easy way out and they set an example by taking the hard road forward. In Acts chapter one, we begin to see how Jesus's teachings were taking hold in the life of the disciples. In Acts chapter two, we saw how Peter was able to stand up and communicate uh, Jesus's desire for them as the church began there in Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter three, we saw the compassion they had for those who were in need. And today in Acts chapter four, we're going to appreciate the courage they had against some pretty powerful people. Okay, J.K. Chesterton, a Christian author, said this, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking a form of a readiness to die. And that's what these men were doing. And again, in Acts chapter 3, if you go back in, in, in that particular chapter, it tells us that Peter and John were going into the temple around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and there was this crippled man from birth at the gates there uh, asking them for money. And Peter says, hey, I don't have a penny to my name, but what I do have I will give to you, uh, something that you truly need in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And they, they, they reached out and they grabbed his hand and, and, and instantly this man was able to stand and walk. Strength came into his, his ankles and his feet and his legs and, and, and he ran in and out of the temple courts jumping and walking and praising God. And people there were amazed and they were shocked. A crowd began to gather and so Peter and John took this opportunity, took the advantage of this, this moment to make sure that Jesus got all of the credit and not them as mere men. And Peter began to preach another gospel message and he quotes from the Old Testament and he builds the bridge to Jesus. And he asked about how, uh, he talked about how some of them in that crowd that very moment had shouted to crucify Jesus, to kill him. And once he shed light on how they got to where they were in this particular moment, Peter starts to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and how he came back to life. And even though they were about to walk on dangerous ground here, they stayed the course. They stood their ground. They spoke truth about the resurrection of the Son of the living God. And now uh, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4 here, and these two men are face-to-face uh, -face with their bullies. Years ago, uh, when Jeff Toner uh, attended here, he shared that he always wanted to go to, out to the Burning Man um, uh, Festival in Black Rock, um, uh, Nevada, where you know, a bunch of artists kind of gathered together to party and to express themselves through their art. Well, he wanted to go out there and express himself through his art uh, through, uh, about the love of Jesus. That's primarily why he wanted to go out there. And I said, you know, Jeff, if you go out there, you're going you're gonna, to uh, uh, face some persecution. You're going to be confronted and you're going to be hated on because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Know that's going to happen. And he was aware of that. He knew that that was a strong possibility and to expect that many were just going to give him a hard time even though the, the festival was supposed to be uh, uh, free from any intolerance or bullying no matter what your background. And, and I, I, I'm, I praise the Lord he didn't go out there this year because this year it was a pretty, a pretty bad mess if you've read anything about it. But in chapter 4 here, in verse 1, it says this. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. What were they doing? Well, they were, great, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. 
The religious leaders and the police descended on the scene. And what ticked them off was the fact that Peter and John were in the temple courts teaching people that Jesus had conquered the grave and those who follow him could do the same thing one day. That they were going to have the resurrection of the dead. And the religious leaders actually had Peter and John arrested and thrown in jail because they believed uh, that, that the, the, the Messiah, the Jewish nation had been waiting for, had arrived in the form of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus promised this would happen. If you remember back in the Gospel of John, he says, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And the same thing applies to us today. Uh, for, for, our, for, our, for most of our history as Christians in America, we have enjoyed unprecedented freedom of religion. In recent years, though, there has been this growing hostility against any public talk about Jesus Christ. You know this to be true. You can't even put a cross out at the, at a, at, on a highway anymore if your loved one was killed there because, you know, the cross is so offensive. And as I stated a few weeks ago, Christians are mocked and they're hated in the entertainment world. We are opposed in the news and in social media, falsely accused in the courts and face opposition in the workplace. You have friends and relatives who ridicule you because of your faith and your insistence on being in, in church to have fellowship with one another. But church, in the midst of all the storms that you're going to face in this world, realizing that while there are bullies who will hate on us, there are also Christians out there in the world who are actually being the light of the world and the salt of the earth and, 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 and so so. Stand your ground against any opposition and have courage in the name of Jesus Christ because it's happening in the world today and Christians need to stand their ground and speak up. Because any suffering or persecution or mocking we face in the United States pales in comparison to what Christians in China and the Sudan and Pakistan and even Israel and other countries face every day. Hundreds of thousands of Christians are being martyred for their faith this very day in the 21st century. It didn't just happen in the first century, it's happening today. And, and some people say that the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. Okay, you know that all sounds beautiful and comforting and spiritual. But is it really the safest place to be physically? Think about this. Can you imagine telling that to the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and all the apostles who died a martyr's death in the name of Jesus? I mean, how safe was being in God's will for them? They died. You see, God's will for us may not be such a safe place, but it's the only place to be. It's the only place to be. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. If you don't know what that means, back in the day, you were allowed to get uh, whipped 40 times. But back then they stopped at 39 because if they went over one, one whipping, then the person giving the whipping was then whipped as well. So they stopped at 39. So 40 minus one was 39. And, and it goes on to say, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Now, that doesn't mean what's taking place in America today in all the, in all the states. We're not talking about that kind of being stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night, day, the night and day in open sea. And then he goes on to share a few more things. And he says, I have known what it is to be hungry and to thirst. I have been cold and naked. And church, I ask you, have you ever been cold and naked? Have you ever gone a day without any kind of meal? 
I think not. Yet some will say the safest place is to be in the center of the will of God. Do they actually know what they're saying in that? Uh, the church needs to understand that to do what is right in the eyes of our God, regardless of the consequences, is a challenge we have as Christians. Our responsibility is to crave to be people of God who, who live dangerous lives proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility as children of God. Look at, look at what Luke writes in verse 4 because it seems like he's trying to keep the focus off of the arrest and by reminding them of, of, of a feel-good moment, okay? Because, you know, sure, Peter and John were arrested, but look at what happened prior to that. It's kind of what he's saying here. Look at verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. And so Luke is simply pointing out to the Christian, to, uh, out that Christianity has exploded on the scene, even in the face of persecution. And the reason it was growing was because those who were being persecuted didn't shy away from speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what was causing the growth. You see, opposition to the preaching of the good news of Jesus is very strong and very real even today. In verse 5, it says, The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas and John and Alexander and other men of the high priest's family. So it's kind of crazy to think what sinister things were going on behind the scenes, the religious scenes and the political scenes, and the ramifications that, that, they, were, that they were willing to, willing and trying to impose on not only Peter and John, but the nation of Israel as a whole. They had no conscience when it came to shutting the mouths of those wanting to believe and follow Jesus because they knew it was going to upset their little plans, their little livelihood, their power and control over what people said and believed. Sound a little eerie, familiar? It's happening in, in America today. And with the gathering of all these powerful people, these leaders in the Sanhedrin, it must have been a very intimidating place for Peter and John. Or, uh, yeah, Peter and John. And it would have been equivalent to the, the Senate and the Supreme Court and the Oval Office all rolled into one. And so Luke mentions Annas, the high priest, being there because he would have been the most influential leader of the time, the most powerful one. His family had a long history in leadership. And, and after he's gone, five of his sons become the high priest of Israel. His family would have been even more powerful, powerful than the Roosevelts, the Kennedys, the Bushes, the Clintons, Obama, combined, put together, and yet Peter and John faced them head on. They, 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 they didn't flinch here. They were not intimidated by these people. Peter once again stands up before the very ones that weeks before had condemned Jesus uh, to die, had him crucified, but Peter does not take uh, a defensive posture here. He knows his audience, and he goes on the offense. Look at what he writes in verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and questioned them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of, and of, of all the people, if we are going to be called today uh, to account for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked, and asked how he was healed, then know this. I can see him pointing his fingers. You, you and all the people of Israel know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builder, you, re, you religious builders rejected, which has become the capstone. You rejected the capstone. You rejected the cornerstone. A capstone is a crowning achievement of one's creation or work that holds everything else into place, and that was Jesus Christ's creation, or God's creation there, in Jesus Christ. And, and, a, and a cornerstone is that which kind of keeps everything square. Those of you who are in building, you know all this, right? Listen to how bold and fearless these two stood up to the leaders of Israel. And, and, but again, how could this man, Peter, who just a few weeks before denied that he even knew Jesus, and now he's doing this with courage, fearlessly? The most obvious answer is that he saw Jesus die the worst kind of death. He witnessed that the Romans declared him dead. He saw the spear being thrust into his body, through his lungs and into his heart, and watched the water and blood come out as, as Isaiah stated in his letter. He watched him bury his lifeless body. And that's why these two men could stand before this powerful group of leaders without fear, knowing that the man that they're preaching about is the same man that came back to life. The, the, the physical thing in life the, the, now, are now less important to them prior, as prior to the, the resurrection. We know of the resurrection, so anything physical in this world should not matter to us because there's something greater coming. But the American church spends too much time on the physical. There is a warfare taking place, a spiritual warfare. And if you don't believe so, I guarantee you that Satan is going to come at you because you just opened the door for him because of your doubt that there's a spiritual warfare taking place in, in, in our world today. Another obvious reason is highlighted in verse 8. And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? He's filled with the Spirit of God. Peter knew without a doubt that he had God on his side. And then Jesus' words began to ring out true when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses throughout the world. And that's what's starting to take place. As fearless as Peter was standing up and making his point, he kept going by saying something that was not politically correct back then, and nor is it today. Because in this age of everyone being entitled to his or her own belief systems of right and wrong, in this world of moral relativism and false assumptions and narratives and secular worldviews that you can now do or, or identify as whatever you want without any kind of consequences, there, there is still one belief, one faith that is opposed and will never be respected or accepted. And it's, it was no different then today than as it is today. And here it is. Here is that one system of belief. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, in no other name under heaven, that would be Jesus, given to men by which men must be saved. No other name. No other belief system. That was politically incorrect then, and it's politically incorrect to say today. The religious leaders, the political giants, and the, and the people had a very difficult time with that statement. In the first century uh, Jewish culture, that statement was a slap in their faces, just as it is today, because they're still waiting for the Messiah. In that one comment, Peter decimates the wishful thinking of those who would say, you know, all roads lead to heaven. You can earn your way to heaven by your good deeds, your works. You can believe and do whatever you want without any kind of consequences. Whether people back then in the first century or people today buy into that philosophical secular worldview that it doesn't matter what you believe is, is not important, okay? 
Because what is important is that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ must realize that kind of thinking is not biblical thinking. It's not in the word of God, nor does it make sense from an honest intellectual perspective. You think about what is taking place in our country alone, let alone the world. If all, if all our good deeds could somehow earn our way to heaven, and if all roads lead to heaven, and if you can believe whatever or identify in whatever fashion you want, then the God who spoke the universe into existence, the God who made uh, only XY and XX chromosomes, the, the, that somehow he made a, a tragic mistake when he allowed his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. It's absurd. And again, Peter, without hesitation, says loud and clear in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. And it's precisely what Jesus said in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he says. Peter and John taught the church then and now to stand our ground and when others try to knock you down and try to shut your mouth or witness when it comes to Jesus, when, when we allow the spirit of God uh, to speak through us, great things happen. That doesn't mean you're not gonna be uh, attacked or hurt in this world. Jesus promised that as well. It means you are putting the world on notice who you stand with, who you have faith in, who you have trust in, who you are going to follow. Verse 13 and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they looked or took note that these men had been with Jesus. That, at the time of my ordination, back in March 20th of 1988, I wanted that particular verse to be uh, the emphasis of, of the ministry that God was blessing me with. As, as ordinary as I was and am, I pray and still pray that Christ would speak through me and use me in ways that others would be able to catch a glimpse, just a small glimpse of that. Maybe Tim Stewart spends some time with Jesus. Nothing else matters to me. I used to care what people think about me. I don't flip and care anymore. I don't flip and care what you think of me. I care what you think of God. That's what I care. I care that you have a relationship with Jesus. I care that the church is sending a message out there in the world that Jesus is alive and well, and that no matter what they've done in this world, God can forgive. And God wants them to be part of the family, right? Uh, after years of serving my Lord, I have concluded that I can never please everyone and that I will never please some. My duty is to serve and honor the one who gave his life for me and to do the best that I can do to love other people, to be gracious and compassionate to everyone. That's what he's done for Tim Stewart, and that's what he's called me to do for other people. I'm not perfect at it because, boy, I get ticked off. Some of you know me, okay? You know, some of you know my, the sin that's been in my life and you've prayed for me and if you, you've worked me through that. You showed grace and mercy and that's the kind of person I want to be, but I still get pretty ticked off. That's my wife, you know. <laughs> I, I, I get mad. I, 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 a couple weeks ago, I went to a football game with Jason Kaufman. We were at Notre Dame. I don't go to these games because you know me, I don't like people touching me. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm at this, this game. And I'm in seat three and four. He's in three. and I didn't, Nobody showed up in one and two. I'm thinking, oh, praise Jesus. But the guy in front of me in seat one, he, he was there, and he starts leaning back. And I'm like, gosh, what are you doing? And he was actually leaning on my knees. 
he was touching me, okay? And he wouldn't stop. And I'd move and he'd set back up and look around. And, and finally he just, he kept, he leaned so far back he was even touching Jason in seat four. And Jason pushed him. What are you doing? This is our space. Stay in your own. Wait till my buddy gets here. Well, his buddy showed up and he's a big dude. But he got in his seat. He sat up straight. I'm thinking, ah, this, this is a good kind of person. Stay in your seat. But he had a long ponytail. And I had my hot dog. <laughs> I had my drinks. And it's... I was not happy. Jason knows I wasn't happy. I wanted to leave. This is why I don't go to those things, okay? And, and so I, I was getting angry. Uh, Jason got angry. I thought, don't, don't start a fight here. You know, church, preacher starts a fight in Notre Dame, you know, stadium. Um, so I'm like, Jason, calm down. You know, I don't like this. This guy's touching me and his hair, the hair. And, uh, but uh, I was not happy. I contained myself, okay? I, I, I do know how to do that. Um, but the word used here to define ordinary, which who I think I am, it, it meant a commoner, a people of the land. It was a group of people that the elite looked down on. The Greek word used here is where we get the word idiot. Okay? Yet the people were amazed that, that there were something astonishing different about these ordinary men. And as I would say, they were, being, they were being idiots for Jesus. You know, I'm okay with that. If you want to be an idiot for Jesus, then you be an idiot for Jesus, but do it in a good way. Honor him. Don't let people shut you down. You speak the truth. And, and, and to be honest with you, I would rather be an idiot in your eyes than successful in the, the world's eyes or a fool in God's eyes. I, I, I think at this point in Peter and John's life, they felt the same way. This is a pretty revealing passage because it reminds us that the crowd had, had heard Jesus preach before and they knew who he was. And the preaching of, 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 and courage of Peter and John reminded them of Jesus and they were threatened by that. Remember, these are the religious leaders of the day. They should have known. There was this little girl who attended a preschool at, at their church and every day her parents asked her how her day went and what she learned and this and that. And one particular day she said, told her mom that well, well jesus jesus wasn't at church today he's like well what and she tried to get an answer from her daughter but she ended up asking the teacher the preschool teacher and and she found out that the that the, the preacher would stop in the the classroom every day and just say hi to all the kids and kind of walk around and and just spend a little time in there but for, for this particular day he, he didn't show up and that's why you know she told but but again for some reason this little girl thought the preacher was jesus that's a pretty nice compliment. It's a huge compliment, but that hasn't happened for Tim Stewart. Okay. Miss Terry says, stay away. I'm either called Mr. Tim or Miss Terry's husband. In fact, some of these kids even call me Mr. Jody. They can, come on. There's Jody. How do, you, how do you get us mixed up? But the story, but that story does present an interesting thought here. When was the last time somebody mistaken you for Jesus? When was the last time? The, the most obvious and practical way for that to happen is to allow or to follow Jesus closer so that you begin to resemble him just a little bit more. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took notice that these men had been with Jesus. 
Again, do people take notice that you've been with the Lord? Things that come out of your mouth, things that you do. Those of you, you women know this name, Beth Moore. And I'm quoting her. She said this, keep looking into the mirror until you no longer see yourself, but all you see is Jesus. Peter and John have now put the religious leaders in a bad spot. And so they asked the two men to leave so they can have a discussion because of the problem they're about to face. In verse 16, it says, what are, we gonna, what, what are we going to do now? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what these two have done, an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. They at least admit that. We, we don't want things to get out of control, and so we need to use our positions of influence and authority and power to silence them, and we'll let them go if they speak no more in the name of Jesus. And so they show a little integrity here by not you know, trying to contradict what happened with Peter and John. They knew it couldn't be denied, but they, but they do threaten them in verse 18. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They wanted these two guys to sit down and shut up and only do and say what they wanted, not what Jesus taught nor follow their own conscience when it came to the word of God. Now, a lukewarm Christian, a Christian who is afraid of the world, uh, someone riding the fence of, of a commitment to Jesus Christ would answer it this way. Sorry, we'll, we'll be a little more careful next time. We promise that we'll never talk about Jesus again. I hope the church is not that person. We have got to speak up in the name of Jesus because that's exactly what Peter and John do here. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, Remember, they're talking to their bullies. They're talking to the religious elite. Judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard, what we've experienced. So you, get, you have the right to share your life story and how God has changed you. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide you know, how, how to punish them uh, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man that was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And so these people knew who this guy was. This wasn't some trick. This was real. There, there comes a point when you have to decide whose side you're on, church. Are you going to obey God rather than men? Are you more uh, about being a people pleaser or a God pleaser? Are you more afraid of government or your boss or a professor than you are of God? Patricia um, he, uh, Heaton, uh, the lady, the wife to Raymond on Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, is a strong Christian, and she's fearless when it comes to sharing her, face, uh, her faith. But she was supposed to, to be a presenter on the American uh, Music Awards in 2003. I know that goes back 20 years. But during the program, she got up and walked out before she made her presentation. And uh, she walked out uh, because Ozzy Osbourne and his wife Sharon were ho the host, and things got pretty raunchy. And so she, she got up and walked out. And she was asked a little later, why did you do this? And she said, when, I, when my final judgment comes, I don't think I'm going to have to be answering to the likes of Barbara Streisand. Powerful. If you remember what Martin Luther King once said, the minute you conquer the fear of death, and that's what she did, she conquered the fear of being killed in the Hollywood industry. At that moment, he says, you are free. I submit to you that if a man, and this is, he goes on to say, if a man hasn't discovered something he would die for, then he isn't fit to live. And we all know what happened to Martin Luther King Jr. In Matthew 16, Peter was 
the first among the disciples to announce who he believed Jesus was. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For those of you, I don't know if it's going to happen, but for those of us who are going to Israel here in nine days, again, I don't know if it's going to happen, we're going to be at this, this spot that this story took place. It's an incredible moment. You get to see exactly what Jesus is talking about here, what he's referencing. I'm not going to go into detail here because you're going to have to see it when you go on the trip. And again, prayerfully, we'll, if we don't get to go here in a few days, uh, hopefully it'll be you know, rescheduled somewhere down the road. But it is an amazing place to experience. And the phrase Jesus uses, the gates of hell prevail against it, 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 it is a defensive move here. Gates are a defensive weapon, not offensive okay you don't see people going into battle carrying a gate okay a gate serves its purpose when you have settled in and, and surrounded yourself to protect everything that you have obtained in life and you think about what jesus is saying here he it says the gates of hell the, the gates mentioned belong to the enemy all right satan has set up his gates to protect himself and what he thinks he owns from getting out that's what's going on here. And, and, and the duty of the church, according to what Jesus says, is to be on the offensive. And so the church must be aggressive, knocking down the gates of hell while doing everything we possibly can to pull people who are caught in a sin or on that road to destruction out of there and bring them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the job of the church. That's what a church built on a foundation made of solid rock will do. That's a church who has courage. Jude writes in his letter, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. Show mercy to others, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained, corrupted by, by the flesh. Jude is saying you pull people from the fire. That's the job of the church. And church, if you don't believe that the Bible is God's infallible word, or if you think that the devil is merely a personification of evil and, and not a literal being, or if you think that Satan is merely a figment of our imagination or some concoction that preachers got together and kind of made up so they can grow the attendance and grow their tithing base, I'm, I've got news for you. You're wrong. This is real. I, I'm pretty sure the devil isn't some monster red monster out there carrying a pitchfork with a pointed tail okay i don't believe that but i do know for sure that satan is alive and well and he's still in the business to steal kill and destroy how do i know that for sure because i've been on the other side of that gate i've allowed the enemy to entrap me inside his gates and the only time that I have had enough strength to overcome were the times that I got on my knees and I prayed that the Holy Spirit would give me the power that I needed to walk away from the control that so, uh, of sin that so e easily entangles all of us. And, and that's exactly what it says happened when Peter and John got back to the other disciples and shared what had happened to them. That when you, when you, when you are opposed and you face, your, your, uh, face persecution due to your faith, you draw strength from your prayer life, right? 
And just to let you know, every Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning, we meet in the class number one for prayer time. I think Tom, there's about 20 people every Friday. If you've got nothing going on during that time, show up and have prayer with us. But in, in verse 23, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and all the elders said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, which would be King David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? They understood in that moment that anything the world tries to do against God is nothing but vain. It's going to be tore down. Because again, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And that's what's going on here. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers against, uh, gather against, uh, together against the Lord and against his anointed one, Jesus. And so they all break out into prayer because they were so thankful for what God has done. And church, what are you doing out there? Do you just speak praises to God because of how he has blessed you in America? Or are you just one of those people? I go there, but man, you know, all the problems. That's speaking against the bride of Christ. And in the middle of this prayer, they say in verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats. Consider the threats of the world and enable your servants, the church, to speak your word with great boldness. Are you speaking the word of the Lord with great boldness, church? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles and signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It doesn't sound like any of them were going to be backing down by allowing fear or the enemy to silence the good news. And it's pretty obvious they were not going to soften the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God gave them in order to appease religious leaders and the law or change the message because our culture is too sensitive. Peter and John are intent on staying the course regardless of the cost. They won't run from their bullies. They won't hide behind the Jewish law. They will not be intimidated by the threats of persecution or allow the real enemy, Satan himself, to have the last word. On one of our men's retreat up north uh, at the UP, uh, David Cole, uh, I think he's, he's, he's in here somewhere, and Eric Ebersol decided they, they were going to fish from the side, the shoreline. They were catching some pretty, pretty good fish. And, but, but out of nowhere, a DNR showed up, and all he wanted to do was see a valid fishing license, and he was just going to leave us alone. But Eric took off running. He took off running, and, 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 and you, know, you hear him screaming and this and that, and he starts, uh, an officer starts after him, and Eric ran about a quarter mile, uh, and he ran across a couple fields and jumped over some you know, small creeks and into the woods. He started climbing a tree, and the officer got to him and, and grabbed him and said, hey, you know, what are you doing? All I want to see is if you've got a valid fishing license. And Eric pulled it out. He said, well, here it is. He went, okay, I don't understand. If you had a valid fishing license, why did you run? And Eric said, well, the guy, the old man I was fishing with, he's way out of shape. And, and he doesn't have a valid fishing license, so I ran to give him a little time to get away. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> but it's, it's just a stupid story about running. Kind of like my track thing. That was real. Church, if you want the Holy Spirit's power in your life to overcome, and if you spend quality time in prayer with the Lord, you're never going to have to run. You're never going to have to run. You'll have the courage to face anything, any bully, anything in this world. Prayer is an offensive move for the church. 
It's what gives us the courage and the strength and the power to stand up. It's not just a prayer for safety you know, and good health. It's a prayer for boldness and fearlessness and strength as we, face, as we come face to face with the gates of hell. We can pray about health all day long. That's not a bad thing. But the prayer of the church so that we are praying that the Holy Spirit would give us opportunities and the power to speak the gospel message of Jesus Christ without fear. That should be our, the focus of our prayer time. Praying for salvation. All the prayer, the Baptist, most all of them that we've had so far, they were people's names in those bowls that we had up here. Don't tell me prayer doesn't work. Outside of prayer, we only have ourselves. And by being yourself, you, 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 by being by yourself, you can easily be intimidated and frightened. But through prayer, even if it's only you praying to God, even if it's just, it's just you two out, out in the back 40, you're going to always be in the majority regardless of how many people oppose you because God is on your side. C.T. Uh, Studd, a Christian author, wrote something pretty profound about his philosophy of ministry and the sharing of, of the gospel of Christ. And he said this, Some people like to live within the sound of church or chapel bells. It makes us feel safe. I would rather run a rescue mission within a yard from hell. Wow. He goes on to say, because if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. What kind of sacrifice are you willing to make for the God who saved you? This is a perfect description of this flawed but faithful servant, Peter, but it also includes John here. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. That's what happens when the church prays. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Luke, Luke is saying that Peter and John's courage was contagious to the rest of the, every, to the, rest of the, the early believers. So when, when these two men took a stand for the Lord, they motivated the other apostles and other disciples to do the same. What bullies or oppressors do you have a habit of running from, church? What is it? It could be one person, it could be multiple people, a secular worldview, teaching material that speaks against God, a secret sin uh, issue that, that keeps you from standing for Jesus. What is it? What's keeping you from doing what you need to do? And so I ask you, church, are you willing to stand for Christ and his truth? Don't just complain about our school systems or your spouse or about your boss or politicians or your leaders about anything. You take a stand to change the things that are before you for the glory of God, for the building up of the body of Christ. Stop running and start speaking truth into the lies the world lives in. You have, a, you have a chance. You have a chance every day of your life to, to, to take that stand. And all you have to do is commit yourself or recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. Take your stand. Have the courage to stand up for Jesus Christ. Because that's what God has called the church to be. Next week we're going to be starting a new series on um, searching for answers. And we're going to kind of go through some of the stuff that we've touched on. And, and uh, so I'll be praying for that. But, but church, I pray that all of us, whether it be Friday morning or somewhere else at home, even if you come in here at nighttime, pray that God would give us strength and power and courage to share the good news of Jesus. Because you think it's nuts out there? 
If the church doesn't pray, it's going to continue getting worse. Let's stand. Let's get, get ready to worship our, our Heavenly Father. And let me pray for you before Chris uh, leads us into worship again. Father God, we praise you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you, Father, for the, the spirit of power that we have through Jesus Christ, the same, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, we have that as a church. And I pray for every family that is in this building today, those who are watching online, that your spirit will give us, uh, again, power and strength and that courage that Peter and John displayed in the ministry that you've blessed them with, Father. We, again, thank you for the opportunity. We thank you, Father, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.